Hey everyone, welcome back to Birdie Bitch. My name is Maddie Belden and I'm the host. Today I got to speak with Don Ray. He's a PGA member. He's secretary of the PGA of America and he also owns a golf course in Arizona called Augusta Ranch Golf Club. He is an awesome guy. We had a really good conversation mainly about the club pro crisis, which I keep telling myself I'm going to stop making episodes on, but honestly, after I posted the initial episode and posted the results of the survey that I took, um, he reached out to me on LinkedIn, wanted to have conversation about it, and we decided to take it to the podcast, which if you told me like six months or a year or five years ago that I would have a podcast called Birdie Bitch and I would get the secretary of the PG of America to come on that podcast, I would probably laugh in your face. Um, but we just had a really good conversation about the club pro crisis and being a golf pro in general. Um, and I think it's good to hear from someone at the PGA, uh, just because I think they get a bad rap. They're not the employer and we'll get into that into the episode. Um, but people put a lot of pressure on them to fix these issues and they're definitely doing things to try and help it. But ultimately, uh, it comes down to the individual clubs and owners and memberships and stuff. So I think it's a good conversation. Um, and without further ado, I'll just let you into the episode. All right. Thanks for coming on, Don. It's great to have you. Welcome to uh, Birdie Bitch. <laughs> hey, if you ever, if I ever thought I was going to be on a podcast called Birdie Bitch, I would say no way. But Maddie, you, you've stirred it up a little bit on LinkedIn, and that's why I reached out to you. So I'm excited to be on today. Yeah, it's awesome to be talking to you. Um, so I did give a little intro in the beginning of the podcast that you didn't get to hear, but if you could just talk about your role, um, obviously as the secretary of the PGA of America and your role as an owner of the golf course as well. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's what I do. I'll give you a little of my why, you know, I've been married almost 25 years. My daughter, she's in college now and plays a little bit of golf. She was a big softball player and then she had an injury. So now she's playing golf augusta ranch where i'm at is a little part 61 golf course you got seven par fours 11 par threes it's it's all about juniors and seniors it seems like you know during our winter visitor season you know when it's and the weather's awesome out here in arizona we get a lot of the snowbirds and then we just roll to all our junior programs and family programs and and just try to grow the game right and, and so my role out here is uh, i have a business partner but uh, and, and including my wife we we own and operate Augusta Ranch, but it's kind of different, Maddie. It's a lease, actually, where I convinced the HOA to buy the golf course and then told them, why don't you give me a 10-year lease? And so, you know, they can get what they want out of the deal, which is always to protect their property values. And then, you know, I can run a facility and maybe not have some of that liability or those capital hits, right? Capital exposure hits at a golf course are crazy. Secretary, you know, certainly when I ran for secretary, it was, uh, you know, from a public golf course kind of owner-operator perspective was excited to kind of get in that room. And when I was on the national board, it was really fun. And, and then some were saying, Hey, you should run for secretary. So right now as the secretary of the PJ of America, it's pretty much, you know, your first two years before you roll to vice president, which will happen for me in about 60 days. Um, you know, right around November 1st is when the election is it's uh, anything that really concerns the members. So it's like I sit on the membership committee, the education committee, the employment committee, uh, the board of control, which is, you know, how we dole out, you know, a lot of the medical and disaster relief money. We certainly deal with the code of ethics and the knuckleheads out there. But, you know, we're also just so anything that involves the member membership matters um, are everything that, that I do in those first two years. And that's why, uh, 
you know, I'm certainly going to stay on LinkedIn and, and be as involved as I can kind of defending what the 28,000 are doing. But when I see, you know, members like you who are actually trying to be a part of the solution and I saw what you were doing and I was like, that's really cool. And that's when I reached out to you. So that's kind of my role. That's my why. And uh, excited to be on the show today. Awesome. Um, could you speak a little about why you originally wanted to run for national office? Was there something that sparked it? Um, maybe someone you talked to? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was just, um, you know, being at a public facility um, and, and really, I guess the impetus of all this might have been golf now, to be honest with you, you know, running a public facility and, and trying to, you know, get customers loyal to our facility instead of loyal to golf now um, is really what really got me kind of going, hey, you know, I, I think, you know, when there's a relationship between you and the golfer, you don't want them cheating on you with a third party provider. You know, you want yeah. to build that one to one relationship. And and so when I first ran, I just, you know, I, I think a lot of times the makeup and, and certainly there's a lot of public golf course operators on the national board, but the majority of the board tends to be private club, which is great. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, 16,000 golf courses, there's, you know, what, 10,000 that are public. And so, you know, I, I just kind of, whether it was water situation, legislative, you know, advocacy situation, the things that I was battling as a public golf course owner, operator, and as a PJ member, I just wasn't, I don't, I didn't feel it was being represented in the room. And, and uh, that was really the impetus of running for the board. And then secretary just allows you to take it to the next level, right? It's like, wow, now I can really make a difference if I can get part of that, uh, you know, executive committee in a sense and, and go through the chair. So I think it was all just battling for the public golf course, uh, you know, the pro. It's, I was talking to Derek Griffiths today, right? He's, he's a pro down in Kentucky, runs a muni operation. The guy, guy's a superintendent Monday and Tuesday, and then he kind of rolls and is just a classic PJ professional. So maybe just maybe I'm, I'm kind of battling for the, for the little guy and gal out there who are just grinding trying to make yeah. a living right that's how i feel about females <laughs> oh yeah good point <laughs> um and then you you kind of touched on it a couple minutes ago but you also spoke about the relief fund when we chatted uh, i don't know a month or two ago and part of your role as secretary is to speak to these people that have applied for the relief fund and have received um funds from it could you just talk about it a little bit? Because I feel like a lot of PGA professionals first aren't really aware of it. And I mean, I, to be honest, I've only been a member for nine months now, but I had no idea that it was a thing. So if you could just talk about it and what it does. I know, right. It's uh, I didn't know much about it, to be honest with you, Maddie. I, I uh, so it's, yes, when you're a secretary, you're chair of the board of control. So the, the board of control is four individuals, PGA members, and they're geographically selected. And uh, anything that comes to, you know, the certain code of ethics violations, there's extensions. If you're a level one and, and something happened in your life, COVID or something, you need an extension to get done with level one, Board of Control kind of monitors all that. But the one cool thing is the medical and disaster relief. And we actually just changed the name of that. It used to just be called disaster relief. And so what it is, is in, when, when PJ members pay their dues, um, they can add on and put money directly to the medical and disaster relief fund. And for years, my boss always told me, hey, I don't pay for that. You know, I'll pay for your dues, but I that extra stuff. Who knows where that money goes? And, you know, what disasters happen in Arizona? And so I never paid it. I, I never added on that money. Well, it turns out the Medical and Disaster Relief Fund is fully funded by PGA members. 
PJ of America doesn't touch that money other than to write checks to PJ members. There's, there's, you know, right now I'm, there might be a half a million, maybe a million dollars in it. If that, we try to keep a little bit of money in there because you never know when, when hurricanes and, and certainly disasters, uh, whether it's fires in California or hurricanes or flooding in Nashville, whatever it might be, right? I mean, but there's also that money as a PJ member, say their wife gets cancer or their husband gets cancer, or you get in a car accident and and you've got these medical expenses and and maybe your deductible is 5,000 or 1,000 or whatever it is, we can actually, members helping members, we can write a check. Now, the max is 7,000 in a lifetime. And you're like, wow, and we're trying to raise that amount. IRS kind of looks at this pretty good too, so that we have to make sure that we're doing right. But it is one of those ways that we can help PGA members. And so, man, Maddie, I mean, every meeting we have, we, we probably give out, um, you know, probably 30, 40,000 to members and their stories are just so sad. And um, you know, certainly sometimes it's a tree on a house, but a lot of times it's a, you know, maybe a PGA member who lost their son or daughter and they're just trying to cover some medical expenses that they didn't think see were coming. And so, you know, we get to write those checks. It's truly an honor. And it's, yeah, I don't think many members know, you know, Maddie, you can give to that at any time. You can certainly add it mm -hmm. on when you pay your dues, but you can go to pj.org right now and you know, I filmed a little video on there of just talking about how it is members helping members. So if you're giving to a charity, why not give to the PJ member and the, and the PJ of America, you know, some people all freaked out about the PJ yeah. of America, what they do with their money. This is truly members helping members. The money stays. There's no administrative costs in there other than maybe a stamp on a letter or something, but it's really cool. And, and not many members know about it. Yeah. Not, I mean, I definitely didn't know about it. And I think it's just, it's a good thing for people to learn about because like you said, people are like, Oh, what does a PJ do with all of our money, our dues, et cetera, whatever. And people aren't even aware right. that this is a thing. So I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Moving into something that you and I originally discussed when I, I posted the survey that I took on, um, on LinkedIn, you reached out to me to try and chat about it. The club pro crisis. Um, you everybody saw it i think the golf digest article the club pro crisis what was your initial reaction to this article when it came out i think it was what this spring i honestly don't even remember what was your uh, no, initial right. reaction to the article i was i was sad right i mean yeah. it's a bummer i i mean you know you're you uh yeah twenty eight thousand lives out there right that we're trying to make better and 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 i love the candidness of the article i don't you know sometimes you, you know it's it's like if i you know ask some of the staff here at the at augusta ranch hey how's everything going they're probably not going to tell me the entire truth when they're in the bar later having beers they're bitching about don right and that's okay but man if i knew about some of those things maybe i could fix them so to me it was like this behind the curtains look at wow wow this is what all these professionals are battling and and I've seen it here at Augusta Ranch, right? I don't have a big budget. I, I know that we probably asked too much from our golf professionals. I mean, you know, because of that article, you know, I, I, we, there's nobody on salary anymore at Augusta Ranch. It's like, dude, it's hourly. You work overtime. I'm paying you time and a half. I'm not here to, to bury you. I mean, I, I, I might have been part of the problem a little bit. You just, you know, you kind of grow up in this thing. You know, even though PJ, uh, being a BBJ member was a second career for me, you kind of get roped into this hook shifts and that's the way it goes. Suck it up and you'll be fine. Yeah. And someday you'll get the golden ring, right? And uh, it was eye-opening for me, kind of bummed me out. But as secretary of the PJ, I'm like, wow, what, what what, can I do? And that's why I thought it was really cool 
hey, you've been a member nine months and, and, and you're sending out a survey to find out what truly everybody's thinking. And you're getting like some people finally, just like the article did, of like, this is where I'm at, man. And it sucks. And I don't think it's right. And so that, yeah, I just was bummed, right? I, I mean, yeah, it's just, was, you know, how do we fix it now, right? And because if, yeah. if I can't, I don't know why the heck I even ran, right? I mean, I can do my best. I mean, that's why I put myself in this chair. But yeah, it's kind of a big bummer, really, when I read it. It's, it's true because it's true. And I was hoping every private club member in the world read it, right? Like, yeah, hey, this is what's yeah. going on. You know, you love your pro, but do you? Because you're not helping him with his family. You're not helping him with his work-life balance. And I, and I wish that, I hope that thing, you know, I'd like to see that thing run in Wall Street Journal. Right? That, that's what I'd like <laughs> to see it run. I let, the, let, the, yeah. let those one percenters read that and see what actually is what's happening with their pro at the club that they love. Yeah, I think it's interesting because there was a few members at the club that I work at that that read it and they were like, really? I'm like, yeah. Like, they're like, not here, not anywhere near us. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's happening yeah. at every club. Um, I mean, and I think you have an interesting perspective as a secretary of the PJ, as an owner. Um, do you think that there's an end in sight? I know it's kind of a a loaded question, but do you think that, I mean, I feel like everything in the golf industry has changed so much. I hear my dad talk about when he was a golf pro 20 years ago and still is it was so different without social media without cell phones and all that stuff with everything changing do you think it's possible to go back to the way that it was or make it better than it is now well i mean back to the way it was i don't you know that was pretty <laughs> it was you know it was funny the first email address here at augusta ranch was when i was the head pro and i had to ask my boss hey do you mind if i do Augusta Ranch at AOL.com. You know, I think emails are going to happen, believe it or not. I mean, I'm 55 years old, but literally that was, you know, we were on dial-up. Yeah. And, and back then a, a sales rep showed up and you talked to him and it was great. And now, I mean, to your dad's point, it's brutal, right? I mean, whether it's texting or emails or phone calls or all of these things are pulling you away, you know, you, you would hope that online tea times would have made things easier because maybe less people were calling but it's not true because online tea times go down and then people are complaining about the rate that's showing. It's, there is no doubt where we've got, you know, that poster that's, you know, that I have on my wall that says all the things that a PGA professional does. I, that's what I wanted to be a PGA professional. Cause I'm like, wow, that's a lot of cool things to do. Well, that list just got more and it's, and it's harder. So is there an end in sight? Absolutely. Because I think in, until you say, until you go, my putting sucks, I'm going to start working on putting. It, it, until you identify that that's what's wrong, then you'll you'll never fix it. And I think what 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 has come loud and clear is like, okay, what are we going to do? I, I mean, I applaud Jim Richardson to be honest with you, our current president. You know, we got in the room and he's like, hey, you know what? When this pandemic hit, what did the PGA do? Well, we mobilized the resources. We did the Golf Emergency Relief Fund, which helped pros pay their dues, um, and and industry people, you know, get through with with those grants. Uh, we did the back to golf. We contacted the CDC and the White House and said, how do we keep golf open and created the back to golf document? So, oh, my gosh, can we mobilize the troops in a time of need? So, OK, this ain't a pandemic, but maybe it's an epidemic. Maybe this work life balance, compensation, recruitment, retention, all the things that PJ is facing is an epidemic. So are we going to approach it that way? And and we are. I mean, Chris Hart immediately is a gentleman at the PJ of America, and and he started looking at he started calling PGA professionals who kind of dropped off the grid. You know, I, I think one thing that we need to do, and we're actively doing now, Maddie, is 
I think at private clubs, private clubs always know their at-risk members, right? Who are the members of the private club that aren't using the pool, aren't using the tennis courts, aren't playing paddle ball, aren't playing golf? You know, what, what, what are they, where are they at? Because if they're not utilizing the facility, that means they're probably, something's wrong. So we know our at-risk members. Um, and I think we just got to enhance and, and, and hire more people, to be honest with you, to actively go, okay, who are the at-risk PGA members in a section? Haven't played in a tournament, haven't been to an annual meeting, haven't done a seminar. Because what's wrong? Is it a marital issue? Is it a medical issue? Is it a money issue? I don't know, but we have to, those, those people never reach out for assistance. So we have to call them up and, and say, how are you doing, pro? I mean, what, what can I do for you? Like, that'll be a start. And then I think it's also leveraging our relationships with the management companies to say, okay, we just got our blood work in. The blood work <laughs> of the PJ member is that they're tired, they're exhausted, work-life balance is jacked. We know what's wrong. So what, what's the plan here? What, how are we going to get better? You know what? And, and if I think it's going to be on us and come in on us to rally the industry to say, here's what's happening. What are you doing? Here's some best practices we think that are working. So no doubt there's an end in sight. There, there better be. I mean, I got four <laughs> years to do this. And to be honest with you, I do something called the secretary to secretary call, Maddie. Every month mm -hmm. I have a call with all the secretaries because we're going to go through the chairs together. For some people listening who don't understand the PJ. Two years as secretary, two years as vice president, and then two years as president. Kind of happens that way through the majority of our sections. So I have these relationships now with these secretaries. We'll all wrote a VP, we'll all wrote a president together of like, hey, we're the future leaders. Are we gonna are we gonna address this? Are we gonna be proactive? Um, and I think we are. And so that's why there is an end inside, Maddie. I really do. Yeah, I I think so too. It's just coming up with solutions. I mean, I I did that survey I told you I randomly I was sitting yeah. in an airport bar and I was like hmm I want to know what people think and so I just sent it, it to my friends right and I didn't really have any idea that I was going to get hundreds of responses um wow. but people are asking me what do you think we should do I'm like well I haven't really <laughs> I have no idea because I only have the perspective of an assistant golf professional I've been in the business this is my third season obviously I've grown up watching my dad be a head of pro. So I have that perspective too. But I think um, yeah. I think the issue mostly lies within management companies, memberships of private clubs that have boards and all that stuff. Um, do you have, I mean, it's different with a management company and with members in a private member-owned club. Do you have any ideas for solutions for those types of private clubs where you have um, different groups of members running the club basically every year. Yeah, I think first, you know, it's always good, you know, to to just start asking questions to boards like that or management companies. And just say, okay, you know, what do you think the role of the PGA professional is at your facility, and and see what they say, right? And and how valuable is the PGA professional? And I think they're going to say things like, well, well, you know, they, they help us with the shop, they help us with tournaments, and. They're always there to answer our questions. And when my family comes, they're the coaches. When I had my daughter or son introduced to the game. Um, you know, when I was at a golfing conference uh, a year and a half ago, David Pillsbury, Club Corps, he was at the, he was on the dais, you know, talking. He's one of the speakers. And he said, a PGA professional working the golf shop counter is like a doctor serving as their own receptionist. And I'm like, that is exactly right. So the first idea is get your pro out of the counter. Anybody can work the point of sale. Come on, the point of sale systems now are so much better on the private and public side. So what expertise do you really need to check people in? This should be maybe the entry level job of getting to know the members. Now let mm -hmm. the pro walk around. 
You know, you we talk about all the time when I was a golf course, when I was on the golf course owners board, is managing your business by walking around is critical. And and we've got to talk to these private club boards and the management companies and say, allow your pro, tell them you're not going to work the counter anymore. I, I don't want you working the counter. I want you walking around. As a matter of fact, I want 30% of your time doing game, doing the Will Robbins stuff. If any of anybody listening has watched some of the PJ Modern Coach stuff, Will Robbins is killing it. The PGA has invested in Will to spread this word that one-on-one lessons are great. Making two bucks a minute is great. But talking to sessions, doing clinics, doing game assessments, you can magnify, you can multiply your appearance. One-on-one lessons, to me, they should be at a very, very high rate. We should be doing more clinics. We should be more sessions so we can talk to more people so that we can grow the game. So now what I have to do, I think our job, the idea is go to the PGA professional, the head golf professional and say, okay, you're not, you can work one shift a week. The rest of it, I want you serving as starter like they do at some private clubs. I want you playing golf. I want you walking up and down the range. It's, it's interesting to me, Maddie, that, you know, outside services in charge of picking up all the baskets and they interface with all the people hitting balls more than anybody else. I'd rather have the outside service person covering the counter for an hour as the PJ golf professional went out there and walked up down the range and started some conversations, started talking about the events, walked through the grill, men's grill, women's grill, whatever the grill might be, walking through the restaurant, talking to people. We are communicators. We build relationship. And when there's relationships, that is security at a facility that there's going to be loyalty. I mean, no one wants to leave Coach Don or Coach Maddie. They're just not going to do it. Um, so I, I think that the first idea is no work in the counter, maybe one shift a week, just to make sure you know what's going on. Having outside service cover the counter, who cares? I, I mean, at the end of the day, get them in there and, and free up the pro to go play nine holes or play six holes or whatever it might be. But that's the first thing. We can't be the receptionist. We are relationship builders. And that's, uh, that, that'd be my first idea is get them off salary. Because salary sucks because you just get manipulated that way. You know, I, everybody, it's like every PJ Pro back in the day, man, they wanted a cell phone and they wanted salary. Yeah. I think that's a deception. Salary's <laughs> like, hey, Don, you got promoted. You, we're putting you on salary now. Now you're working 60 hours a week. Well, that was still promotion. I'm making less than when I worked outside service and I was getting tips, right? I, I just yeah. got demoted. So get rid of salary. Get into incentive-based compensation agreements that are related to membership sales, tournament sales. Um, the people taking lessons. I mean, business development is actually player development. If you're developing players, your business will be improved. And so let's start measuring the metrics of the value of a PGA member have to change. It's not hours. It's not salaries. It's actually now relationships, lessons, and rounds of golf. Yeah. Well, that's what I think a lot of people um, that responded to my survey were saying was like, yeah, I mean, it, well, up in New England, at least we get winners off, right? So it's fine if you're here 60, 70, 80 hours a week because you get the winner off. And it's first of all, you don't really get the winner off because you have cell phone, text, emails, whatever from your membership. And then and then it's like, well, I still don't want to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week for a salary that I'm basically making minimum wage because that's what it averages out to. It sounds fine and dandy, but when you're on salary, it's it's not always what it's cracked up to be. Um, what do you think? So that's what I guess the, the clubs can do. What do you think PGA professionals as individuals can do to help either themselves or help fight this so-called crisis? Because um, I think a lot of people struggle, 
like we talked about before with mental health, anxiety, depression, stress, all that type of stuff. What do you think that the PGA professionals should be doing for themselves and for the industry to help it go in the right direction? Yeah, I think, I mean, two things. I mean, one, I would say if, if you're a manager um, is lead by example. I mean, you know, take a day off, you know, take a half a day off, do something. I mean, I actively tell everybody like, hey, tomorrow I'm going with my wife and daughter and we're going to go to Grand Canyon and, and show it's not, it can't be this badge of honor of, well, I work seven days a week, you know, and because even if you're telling everybody else to have a work-life balance, if you aren't showing that, then what they're thinking, they're just going to look at what you're doing and go, well, I want his job someday. I want her job someday. I'm just going to do what they're doing. So we can say all the stuff we want, Maddie. We can have all the speaking points, but if we're not doing it, if we're not taking Sunday, Monday off, if we're not saying, Hey, I'm going to be gone for the next five hours because I'm coaching Katie's softball team. I mean, that's something I tried to do here at Augusta Ranch. And believe me, I love being a PGA golf professional. And sometimes I told my wife, I need an intervention sometimes. I mean, yelling at me to say, you, you need to be home more. I almost need an intervention going, you're doing it again, honey. You, yeah. you, you worked another, you know, 12 hour day. I know you love it, but you got to be home with me and Katie. So I've got to one, be an example of that and take days off and, and, and tell everybody that's what I'm doing. And I expect you to do the same. But two, we've got some PGA members who aren't maybe managers of the facility, but they're writing schedules. So same type of thing. If you're writing the schedule and you know guys are getting burned out and gals are getting burned out, go to your boss and go, there's got to be a way that we hire a couple more part-timers to kind of fill these gaps because people are getting burned out. I mean, you know when people are getting burned out. But I also think my final point, Maddie, would be that if you think a PGA member or even any person food and beverage, agronomy or otherwise, is going to come up to you and say, hey, man, I'm about to tap out. Um, you know, I think about my daughter, Katie. She was playing club softball. And I kept telling her, honey, you're going to get burned out, man. This guy, he's doing too many practices, and that's all you do is play softball. You're not playing other sports. You're going to get burned out. And end up a third of her team end up not playing softball ever again. Because you don't know you're getting burned out until you're burned out. And then you're done, right? I mean, the saddest, the happiest day of any PGA members when they get their membership. The saddest day is when they walk away from the business and they're they're just distraught, but they didn't see it coming. So there are a lot of people getting burned out right now, and they're not going to tap out until they've tapped out completely. So I think it's very intentional of managers and coworkers asking some questions and going, hey, how you doing? When's the last time you saw your wife? When's the last time you saw your girlfriend? When's the last time you played golf? When's the last time you took some time to be with yourself? And and then they might say, well, I don't know. It's been like two weeks. Okay, hold up. I mean, you know, we just talked to Seth Waugh and said, Seth, how are you doing with your work-life balance? I feel like I haven't had a day off since Christmas. Holy smokes. All right, so Seth, what can we do to help you? You got to spend more time with Jane, right? But but Seth loves the PGA, so he's out there grinding on behalf of the 28,000. So are Jim, John, and I, and all the board members. But we're, what are we what are we showing? If that's what we're doing, we're telling the industry we got to work life balance, and none of us have it. Yeah. So I need to take some days off, you know. So I think that's the key. You're writing a schedule. Be conscious of that and start talking. If you're a manager, start taking some days off. The place will be fine without you. I promise you. But and you and I both know they're still going to text you if there's an issue. <laughs> but I also think one last thing. I think there is a definition that we almost have to do industry wide is. If I send you an email, don't answer it until you're working the next day. If I send you a text, it's an emergency. 
So stop sending text messages like, hey, I was driving home and I was thinking about you should work on this because that drives that person who got the text to answer it right away. So -hmm. let's build some fences that I'm not going to text you unless it's an emergency. And if I email you, you know, don't answer the email until your next day you work. I don't want an email on your off day. I might send it, but uh, but I'm but I don't answer it, please. If I send you a text message, yeah, I got, I got a problem. If I call you, yeah, dude, we got you know yes. we got a four one one. But so I think that's it. You know, I think those three things personally as a PGA professional, let's lead by example. Your dad, if he was on this podcast right now, I say, Al, dude, let's let's what can we do? Let's be very intentional about telling everybody I'm taking the day off today. <laughs> and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to hang yeah. with my wife and daughter and my, and my kids. I think really? That's... Are you sure you can do that? I'll be fine. Right. <laughs> Towards the end of my dad's career as a head pro, he definitely started doing that more. He'd be like, we are going to the beach and you guys will be fine without me. And that's that. Amen. <laughs> but he didn't do that in the beginning. What do you say to um, to the non-managers, the assistants that don't really have a say in the schedule or a say in how things are done um, that are just being pounded into the ground and really see no end in sight. But I think there's a lot of people are scared to speak up and, you know, potentially lose their job. But at what point do you say like enough is enough, but you're afraid to, you're not going to find another job. Like, what do you, what do you say to those people that just kind of feel stuck in this limbo? I know. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the biggie because you know some of the pga members that have left the pga of america they just got beat up at the entry-level job and then just and just bailed and they're like and, and when we call them or i call them you know it's always like well, who, who's i going to talk to i mean all they talked about is how many hours they work if i didn't work it i would get fired or i would get the worst shifts right i mean sometimes you don't get fired but to give you the shifts that nobody wants right and so they're kind of giving you like hey we, you know, this, you better fall in line and we're going to give you a, you're going to be working every Friday and Saturday. I think the best thing they can do is one, I'm, you know, there used to be staff meetings at facilities. And I think because of COVID or other things, it's, there's no staff meetings all anymore. Right. Um, and part of the staff meeting is sometimes, you know, say, hey, how's everybody doing? If you, if you show a culture, if you have a culture at a facility of doing staff meetings, um, pretty soon, Everybody talks a little bit more freely during the staff meeting. So if you just do one every six months, then everybody just wants to go home. But if you have a culture of, of feedback, and maybe it's a comment box like in the old days, or maybe it's just like text me if there's an issue, I think um, it, it just creates a better culture for feedback. So one, you know, what, so what can you do to answer your question? I think it would be going to your boss and going, hey, how come we never have staff meetings anymore? And, and when we have a staff meeting, I think it'd be cool to ask everybody how they're doing. Maybe that'll turn it a little bit. Um, you know, maybe the, the guy running, the gal running the joint will say, dude, I'm already busy and now I got to do a staff meeting. When are we going to do it? Four in the morning? When are we going to do it? Nine o'clock at night? I mean, nobody, that's, I'm, I'm getting into their work-life balance. I think, I guess then, as I would, you know, Katie's going to college right now. She was unhappy about something. And it's hard because she was a little unsure about going to that professor and saying that because it's a little intimidating. But it's like, honey, you have to. You know, and it's hard, this face-to-face, dude, it's scary, right? But I think you have to. If, you, if you're at a facility, um, do it in the right way. Like, if you come in and knock on my door, hey, Don, I want to tell you about all the things you're doing wrong, I'm going to puff up, and I'm going to say, where have you come from, kid? I've been in this business 20 years. I think there's a right way to do it, you know, where you could just say, hey, Don, I was thinking, you know, like, 
what, what, what can we do, um, you know, like team building events? I mean, maybe we go bowling or maybe we do something that's not here. Why is every social event at a golf course built around golf? Granted, we all want to play, but sometimes maybe we could just do a, hey, bring a guest and we're going to go bowling or we're going to do laser tag or we're going to go to a ball game, whatever it's going to be. But, you know, I guess what I'm, I guess the answer I'm, trying, I'm thinking of right now as we're talking is you just got to be a little bold. You have to be a little courageous and you're just going to have to speak up and take that chance. I think that the message, because of that article and a lot of other reasons, I think I think that that person, that person's heart, it's a little more receptive now than it maybe it's ever been because down deep, they know they're getting beat up too. So you might just have to be a leader and go, I'm going to take the chance. Hey, it might be like six people on outside service nominating the person going, well, you go talk to Don because I'm not flipping talking to him. That's all right. Rally the troops together in those departments and nominate somebody to have the guts to knock on Don's door and go, Don, all right, this is what we're upset about. Because, you know, what? once you find out um, as a leader, you're like, okay. I mean, there's one thing we did at Augusta Ranch, not to talk too much, Maddie, but they said, okay, if you had $500, what would you spend it on? And we asked the kitchen staff that, and they're like, I sure would like some new knives because ours aren't sharp enough. Oh, my gosh, that's easy to do. Hey, that one table over here has got a broken caster, so it's always crooked, and we've been putting coasters on it forever. Hate it. Okay, I'll fix that. So I think, you know, getting people invested in, in the facility and giving them a voice. I wish the managers would do it, but if not, you might have to give yourself a voice. Scary, yeah. but you got to do it. Yeah, I think if it gets yeah. to a certain point, too, people are, are going to feel – more uh courageous i guess to do something bold like that but um as I you are so. what two months away from becoming vice president i think it's november right yeah. that it all happens yeah i swear yeah. i studied for my all my exams i know how everything <laughs> works you better <laughs> I'm going to look into your file, man. Yeah. What's going on there. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> as you're uh, becoming vice president in a couple of months and you have about a little over four years left as uh, on the national office, what is your main one or two goals that you want to accomplish before you're you're done serving? Well, you know, I think if you'd asked me pre-COVID, you know, when I was running for secretary, it's like, man, who knew that 8% of the population plays golf? How sad is that? 8%. Nine out of 10 people have no idea that, you know, that 28,000 exists. <laughs> so sad. When we know that golf brings families together, you know, at Augusta Ranch, it's family, fitness, fun, forever. Those are the four Fs that we live by. And, and so at first it was like, can we get golf participation over 10%? I mean, if we know that we've got the antidote for a lot of things when it comes to bringing families together, how the heck can we say we're successful when we're, you know, we're less than 10% of the population playing our game? So that was originally my metric. I think now it is, uh, you know, I, I, tell, I feel like I'm better in person than on paper, you know, whether it's this podcast or whether it's going to a section meeting, I'm, I'm really going to actively get involved with the PGA management universities and, and getting to recruitment events. I like the four recruitment specialists we have. I like that they're going to high school events and schools and, and really trying to, tell people, hey, th this is a cool industry. So I am going to definitely for the next four years, focus a lot on getting out and talking about what I think a PGA professional really does. I mean, I mean, one, we raise more money for charity than all the other sports combined. The NFL and the Major League Baseball, they can all pound their chests of what they do for charity. We raise more money for charity than all the other sports combined when it comes to golf. That's cool. We steward, we steward a lot of our natural resources when it comes to water and, and the golf courses are like, 
you know, we're just so good for the environment and we got to tell that story. And then I think it's the relationships. You know, when I was talking to Katie and, you know, I was like, hey, what do you, so what do you want to do, right? And, you, you know, I think, you know, she told me, I want to make a difference. You know, I, I want to help people. I want to, I'm not even caring about how much money I make that. And I'm like, okay, so maybe that's what we have to lead with when I'm recruiting and trying to tell people that I think a PJ professional does great things is, is like, hey, man, have you ever had a hug from a veteran when you introduce them to PJ Hope? It's a really cool hug. Have you ever had a hug from a little girl because you did an event for their for their kindergarten class that raised money so that they could go on a field trip? That's a cool hug, right? I mean, I, I think it's painting the picture that, wow, at a golf course, you're running a retail, you're running agronomy, you're running a restaurant. It's really cool to wear all these different hats. I think if you want to make a difference, being a PGA professional does that, and it's not something we really measure. So for the next four years, I'm just going to travel. I'm going to go see professionals. I'm going to see them where they're working at and just try to get on as many podcasts and many shows and get on all the social media. You might even see a Don Ray TikTok channel. It could get crazy, Maddie. <laughs> Look out. But whatever it takes for me to take this passion and say, I love what I do. I've done it wrong for a while because it took me away from my family. But, man, I see the light now. And this is what you can do as a PGA professional because, Maddie – more than 60% of our membership is over the age of 55. The greatest jobs right now in the golf industry are going to open up in the next 10 years. There has never been a better opportunity to be a young PGA professional because the best jobs, people are rolling out at some point because we're all old. So, so come in and do it for the right reasons, not the money or the prestige, but for the people, the relationships, and for the love of the game. That's what I'm going to do for the next four years uh, is try to get people to love this as much as I do because I just dig it. I love it. And if you ever make a TikTok account, please let me know and I will share it with all of the followers because I would love that. <laughs> you know, behind the scenes, can you imagine? It'd be cool. You know, it's like, it's what's that TikTok? They're like, no one's going to know. I think they're going to know. No yeah. one's going to know. Right. And, I, and I've got this camera. I'm behind the scenes at the Ryder Cup or I'm behind the scenes at the PJ Championship. And I just think it would be hilarious. And, and that would be cool. whoever thought the president of the PJ would do that. I've already talked to the media team. They're probably scared to death, but I go, dude, when I'm president, we're going to, this is going to be off the hook. We're going to make it fun to be a golf professional. Yeah. I love it. I think that's the ultimate goal. Cause I think, I think people have lost sight of, you know, how fun of a job it can be. And if we can bring that back, then hopefully we can increase participation membership and, just like overall satisfaction of the PGA professional. Um, I think, you know, hopefully everyone will eventually be happier. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on Birdie Bitch. I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> Birdie Bitch. <laughs> I swear, I can't, when I found out the name of your podcast, I'm like, really, Maddie? You're freaking killing me. But hey, I love it. Nine months for a PGA member. Surveys are going out, trying to solve problems. I mean, I need 28,000 more of you. So I just appreciate what you're doing and uh, you know, <laughs> invite me back whenever you want. I will gladly come on Dirty Pitch. <laughs> you're always welcome. Thank you so much.